Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and best practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, Bonnie in the house. Happy to be here. This is our final show of 2020, episode number 30, if you've been following along. Quite an accomplishment for Deloitte and the team. A shout out to Carla Neal, Helen Tomas, Igosa Obak Palor, and thank you very much for your hard work this year. Wonderful shows, wonderful guests, great timely topics relevant to our global audience. So let's see what we're talking about today. Very appropriate topic. Listen up. As we look forward to a post-pandemic world, I'm just going to stop there for a second. Let that idea sink in. Post-pandemic world. We may be close. We may be more optimistic than we thought we could be. Yes. Okay, now I'll get on with the topic. As we look forward to a post-pandemic world, crossing fingers, big realizations are setting in. The next normal, I call it the new reality, will be nothing like the old normal. Businesses will never look at their supply chains, their workforces, their customers the same way again. And stakeholders will view businesses through an entirely different lens. That lens has been cloudy. It's been murky. It's been hard to see through, and I think now we're beginning to see. So what might the world look like six to 10 months from now? That would put us right about in the middle or in the fall of 2021 as we move into what we are looking forward to again, the post-pandemic era. Today, Deloitte Innovation Leaders Mike Bechtel, Scott Buckholz, and Darwin Deanna are going to hop into their time machines. Gentlemen, I want you all to do the little hop movement there. I'm, I'm videoing, recording you on Zoom here. You're all hopping. That'll get them smiling into your time machines, and you're going to take us back to the future, back to the future we thought we should have already had this year in 2020. They're going to talk about answers to key questions, what new expectations, business models, methods, and solutions will emerge in 2021. Big question on the table. How can your business, I'm talking to our audience, how can your business transition from pandemic mode, well, if you're surviving as a business, that's what you're doing, to post-pandemic mode, that's the optimism here. How can you and we better handle the next major disruption? because you know there'll probably be one in our lifetimes. And ultimately, of course, this is the kinetic enterprise. What will it take to enable a truly built-to-evolve kinetic enterprise? And evolve is such a key word in this environment today. So join us for the next hour for the kinetic enterprise, the future for post-pandemic businesses. So happy to be here. Wonderful panel. I can see them on Zoom. You can't if you're listening to us on Voice America Business, but one of them will be kind enough to post the video of this show and then you'll see them smiling. So by my special guest today, I said, oh, Mike Bechtel. We have Scott Buckholz, who's a newcomer to Deloitte Radio, and Darwin Deanna, who's been on many times with me before. So Mike Bechtel, you're up first. Mike, please introduce yourself to the audience. And Mike, you know what I like to say? You've been on a lot of time, a lot of radio shows with me this year. And if there's one person in the world who doesn't remember who you are, shame on them. So talk to that person and remind them of what you do. Welcome, Mike. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Bonnie, thanks for having me on again. And uh, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, Mike Bechtel, I'm our chief futurist here at Deloitte, which uh, creates exactly two sets of reactions. Either, wow, that sounds neat, or who's this guy? So in short... <laughs> I look after uh, emerging technologies and business trends uh, beyond two years out. Uh, our focus is on, uh, you know, seeing the forest for the trees and the forest beyond that forest. Uh, prior to that, worked as a venture capitalist for a while, 
uh, trying to separate uh, harebrained possibilities from, uh, you know, validated profitabilities. And uh, before that was an inventor. So uh, look forward to being here and chopping it up with uh, this great panel. Mike, I don't remember you were an inventor. Anything you could share with us? That's intriguing. Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, w- w- when you're working in emerging tech, uh, you're always sitting there at, at the forefront of things before they have easy names. So looking back, <laughs> oh, it was straightforward. You know, we worked on crowdsourcing tools. At the time, it was massively parallel human grid computing platforms, <laughs> which is to say, uh, happy to tell you about it some other time, but a lot of good fun <laughs> collaboration stuff. Thank you. Very interesting. Our straight shooter on the panel. Thank you very much, Mike. (laughs) Let's go to our newcomer, Scott Buckholz. So happy to meet you. We met on a prep call a couple of days ago, Scott, and welcome. And why don't you enlighten us? Who are you? What do you do? A little bit about your background, too. Go ahead, Scott. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Um, For everybody out there in radio land, Scott Buckholz, I have the privilege of serving as the Chief Technology Officer for Deloitte's Government and Public Services Practice, as well as our Emerging Trends Research Director. Uh, Happily, that doesn't mean I have to deal with our laptops and phones. It actually means that my job is helping explore what's just over the horizon in emerging technology and try to help our clients and our project teams understand what that means for them and how they can actually take advantage of all the great stuff we see coming. So excited to be here today. Very much. What got you to this point in your career? Scott, where'd you come from? Any any background you want to give us? Any any hobbies, passions, any education, anything along the way you want to share? Anything that people don't know about you? There are probably a lot of things people don't know about me, but I feel like my career has always been a little bit of a random walk. Um, I, you know, it would have been nice if it had been planned, uh, although I think it probably would have been less fun. I've been following my inclinations and my instincts for uh, a really long time. We were trading notes about how old we were, Bonnie. I know you're 22 (laughs) and you look fabulous. Um, It's been a few more years for me, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I started as a, as a developer. I've been implementing technology for a long time, and I just follow my curiosity around most of the time. I identify with that so much career. I think I'm on my seventh career here, Scott, and thank you. For, no, I, I admitted to being 38. That's all I'm going to say. So 22, thank you very much. We'll go with 38. Thank you. Scott, did you know that I was a main, mainframe programmer analyst back in the key punch days, coding in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 machine, Darwin is nodding, where the computer room had the uh, the magnetic holders, that like, like carpet lifters. They lifted up the tiles on the floor to get to the wiring and the mainframes had bells and whistles and in order to put a disc pack in the drive I had to stand on a step stool and carry this disc pack that was about two feet in diameter with a handle on it. Mike, I don't know if you remember, you've probably heard stories from the womb about this and drop it into the into the drive and then they would rev it up and the disc pack would read the data. But yes, I'm, I'm what's called an early woman in tech and somebody just told me I t- I didn't even know. So, <laughs> career, and here I am hosting radio shows. What can I tell you, Scott? Thank you for that that legend of meandering careers because a lot of us have had that. So, thank you very much, yep. Darwin. 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 It's been a while. Uh, Darwin and I have something in common that he might want to reveal. So, Darwin, welcome. And Darwin, shame on anybody who doesn't remember you, but you just go talk to them. Welcome, Darwin. <laughs> 
Thanks, Bonnie, for having me. And um, uh, yes, uh, very, very proud to share that Bonnie and I are both um, musicians, budding musicians, if you will, uh, <laughs> from um, Darwin Diano, Global SAP Chief Technology Officer, as well as the Enterprise Performance CTO. Um, very, very humbled um, to uh, sponsor uh, the podcast and um, the reception that we received um, and very, very excited um, to have both Mike and Scott here. This is one of those uh, uh, panels where I, I am excited to be, uh, to be watching what they will say and, you know, this is going to be fun. So thanks for having us. Darwin, you honor me by, by putting me in the same category. You've been playing drums for what, 20, 25 years now? A while? Ish. <laughs> ish. Ish. Well, I've been playing drums for two years, and I'm, I'm honored to be in the same category as musician. Thank you. Darwin, any, any uh, career byways, highways, like Scott and Mike have been talking about that got you to this point in your career at Deloitte? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've been fortunate that um, in, in consulting, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. But I meandered a bit, too, uh, right? starting out as a supply chain guy, believe it or not, and becoming a developer. Who does that? Right. Um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but just been, been privileged to, uh, to have all the opportunities. Okay, we'll keep it there. Thank you very much. We should get you to be drumming on the show one of these days. We got it. You and I'll do a, a drum duet. There we go. And Mike, do you play any instruments or Scott sing, dance? I, I'm a guitarist. Oh, okay. And Scott? I'm a, I'm a clarinetist and a poor karaoke singer. I think we've got a band. I think we've got the Kinetic Enterprise band. I'm talking to Igosa, who's listening in the background. We'll have to do that in 2021. Let's move on. We, I've asked my guests <laughs> to send me in advance a movie or a song quote, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of our show. By the way, our topic, again, if you're just tuning in, is the Kinetic Enterprise, the future for post-pandemic businesses. Now, for is an interesting word because it's, it means your business, we're hoping, we're praying, and we're rooting for you, will be around in the post-pandemic era. That's what we're talking about, moving forward, optimism, and keeping it going, keeping it real. So, Mike Bechtel has sent me a quote from Marty McFly, played by the very real Michael J. Fox, who has had an interesting career. We won't leave that one. In Back to the Future 1985, it was actually a trilogy. Uh, the, the movie had three iterations. I think it was 85, 89, and 90. And on July 3rd, 1985, the film Back to the Future was released in U.S. theaters. Marty McFly travels back in time from 1985 to 55 and plays the song Johnny Be Good. I think we have, Darwin, you remember that one? Johnny Be Good at a school dance. And he plays a guitar solo filled with anachronistic flourishes and references that would appear foreign to the attendees at the dance. After his performance, the attendees look at him and he says, and here's the quote Mike has picked, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Mike, <laughs> no, Mike, this is not the usual quote people pick from Back to the Future. I was delighted to see a different one. So why don't you share with us, what does this mean for our topic today? Mike Bechtel. Well, Bonnie, I, I picked it for two reasons. One, uh, we just lost, as, as, as a, from musician to fellow musician, we just lost Eddie Van Halen. And those mm -hmm. anachronistic flourishes he was throwing out there were uh, uh, Van Halen-esque, if nothing else. But two, uh, as a futurist, uh, it's, it's our job to show up as just a little bit crazy. Because if the things that we're sharing feel 
expected and known and comfortable, then we're not doing our job to stretch conceptions and, and push boundaries. And so I always think back to that scene in Back to the Future where he was right, right? He was right, but, um, but the audience wasn't quite ready. And so I, I think in the spirit of today's show, as, as we look at what's next, uh, I encourage our audience to uh, take every dose of intuitive projection with a uh, half dose of, that's a little crazy, because that means it's a little right. Stretch conceptions and push boundaries. Darwin is shaking his head. That, Mike, Mike has quotable moments, Darwin. What can I tell you? Mike, why don't you write, write, why don't you write down, Mike, 9.14 a.m. Eastern, uh, 9.13, when you get your audio track, why don't you go find that moment and post it somewhere? Bonnie, Bonnie please don't encourage him. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, we're having a very serious business conversation about the post-pandemic era for businesses, but we're also keeping it very real. And this is this is the the just the tip of the holiday season. You know, although I've just finished Hanukkah, lit the last candle last night, but Christmas season is upon us, and New Year's plans are being made. So we're just having a real conversation here. Thank you, Mike. That was great. Let's move on. Scott Buck also sent us another very interesting quote. This one is from Star Trek for the Voyage Home, 1986 American science fiction called sci-fi film directed by Leonard Nimoy based on the TV series Star Trek. And I have the whole dialogue here, Scott, so bear with me. Scotty, ooh, Scotty played by James Doohan says, computer, computer, he's handed a mouse and he speaks into it. Ah, hello, computer. And Dr. Nichols played by Alex Hinteloff says, just use the keyboard. And Scotty says, the keyboard, how quaint. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, this is a fantastic quote. Enlighten us, please. What, what did you pick this one for? Go ahead, Scott. This has been one of my, my favorite movie quotes of all times, in part because it's all about the mismatch of expectations. You have Scotty from the future who's trying to talk to the computer because that seems like the obvious thing to do. Uh, then he tries to talk to the mouse because it looks like a microphone. And then he has to sit down and type. And Uh, The funny thing about it was, uh, it's probably hard for some people to remember, but the film was made back in the late 80s. And back in the late 80s, the idea of talking to a computer was about as far out there as you could possibly imagine. And uh, these days, we talk to our devices all the time and they talk back to us and that has come to seem perfectly normal. And so to me, it's a whole bunch of different things all wrapped in one. It's, It's the power of expectations and the way that people really want to interact with technology as opposed to the way we've been forced to interact with technology mediated by keyboards and screens and mice and sort of what is the universe of possibilities look like when interactions become more natural. And it's also really just a a statement of change. If you think it really hasn't been, well, it's been 30 years, so I know you weren't alive at the time, Bonnie, but you know, for those of us who've lived through this over that period of time, it's been a really fascinating journey to see how much technology has changed. And I watch my kids who are teenagers interacting with technology, and they go about it completely differently than I ever did. And that's wonderful and terrible and all sorts of things wrapped together all at the same time. 
Thank you very much. I remember a, a picture of my older granddaughter. Uh, she had fallen, my son propped her up in her chair at his desk and she fell asleep on top of a keyboard with a, in front of a Mac with a mouse there. And that was probably a predictor of what technology was going to play in her life. My, I think at 10 years old, she had her own own Mac, <laughs> her own laptop. And, and the, 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 her little sister was playing My Little Pony or one of those things on her own computer in her own bedroom at seven. Look, Grandma, look what I'm doing. It was just amazing. You talk about cutting your teeth and being technophiles and technophobes. Do you remember the term technophobe? I was writing a letter for, I had a job as the marketing director for a, a, a correspondent bank in New York that served all the savings banks in the state. And I remember doing an article called, Are You a Technophile or a Technophobe? And this was back in 1980. We're not going to say the year. We'll just leave that one alone. Thank you, Scott. Darwin, you've sent us an equally equally interesting quote. Uh, this is from Sting. I, the song is I Was Brought to My Senses, 1996, and it was on the album Mercury Falling. Let me just give a little background because I didn't know this. Sting's real name was is Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner, CBE. He's an English musician, singer, songwriter, and actor, principal songwriter, lead singer, and bassist for the new rock wave, wave rock band, The Police, from 77 to 84, and then he had his own solo career starting at 85. But did you know the background of how he got his name Sting, Darwin? I'm about to tell you. He gained his nickname after a habit of wearing a black and yellow jumper with hooped spikes when he was with the Phoenix Jasmine. And band leader Gordon, also Gordon Solomon, thought that he looked like a bee. According to Sting, they thought I looked like a wasp, which prompted the name Sting. So in 1985, there was a documentary on Bring on the Night, and a journalist called him Gordon, to which he replied, my children call me Sting, my mother called me Sting, who is this Gordon character? And then he told the, the Times in 2011, he said, you could shout Gordon in the street and I just move out of your way because he identified as Sting. Here's the beautiful quote, and out of the confusion where the river meets the sea, something new would arrive, something better would arrive. Oh, Darwin, I got chills. Talk to me. How'd you find this one? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I had that album back in the day um, when I was five. And um, uh, when I heard that line, I was so blown away by, by it because to, to, to look at, you know, where the river meets the sea and to describe that confusion and, and, and describe that positive view of what's to come, right? Something blue would arrive, something better would arrive, the, the, the blue ocean, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I thought about that uh, in the context of what we all went through in the pandemic election and everything else and all the craziness that happened, um, all the unfortunate tragic things that happened. And I, I gravitated towards that code. It's like, you know what? This is not about moving back into the river. This is about moving forward and embracing the possibilities uh, that have been unlocked for all of us. Right. So, so uh, yeah, a little different tone from my colleagues, but um, that's that's why I picked that quote. Thank you. It was very, very beautiful. If it were a little shorter, I would want to crochet it on the side of a pillow. There you go. Or, uh, yeah, or somewhere. We're <laughs> painted on a wall. It's a beautiful quote. And, and it speaks to the optimism, doesn't it, Darwin, of what we're trying to convey today is there will be a post-pandemic world and businesses can survive if they're built to evolve. And that's the whole point of the kinetic enterprise is keep it moving, keep it evolving, keep it real, know what you got to do and look forward. I think that's a, in my own words, that's a good summary. So thank you, Darwin, you agree with that? 
I, I uh, 100% agree. 100% agree. It's not that we lost something and we have to get back to where we were. It's about, you know, we've been liberated in a lot of ways, right? A lot of orthodoxies have been shattered. And now it's like, what's next? We've been liberated. There's another quote. Darwin, write that down, 9.22 a.m. Eastern <laughs> on your audio track. We've, I haven't heard that yet from anyone, Darwin. I think that's a, a prophetic moment there. Thank you very much. Write it down. you got to post that somewhere. So now it's a part of the show where we're really going to hunker down into our topic. And my guests have each sent me several discussion statements. I'm going to pick and choose one from each of them. We're going to go around the table. And the trick is I'll ask, I'm going to read the first statement from Mike Bechtel. He's agreed that I can talk about this. We already chatted. And Mike is going to expand it, or as I say on the news, we've got to unpack it. And then I'm going to ask Scott to, here's the tough part, Scott, agree or disagree agree with Mike and then I'll ask Darwin to agree or disagree with Mike and or with Scott. So you've got a lot of, lot of stuff to talk about there when we get to Darwin. So here's the, the statement Mike sent me. He says, the daily commute is dead. Offices, however, are not. This sounds like a paradox, but it isn't. We're learning which work happens best in which environment. Great, great opening conversation starter. Mike Bechtel, you're up. Talk to me. Well, you know, Bonnie, the um, the last six months, nine months, you know, what, what does time even mean anymore, right? But we've all been sitting, we've all been sitting uh, at a desk and uh, having our whole work reality mediated through Zoom or Team or Blue Jeans or Slack or you know, pick your poison. And there's this feeling that there has to be something after that right? That, that this can't be the forever normal. On the flip side, you know, you talk to a lot of folks, you say, well, you know, it's kind of nice not having to wake up at stupid o'clock in the morning and <laughs> shower and shave and dress and cufflinks and the whole nine yards just to show up for the ritual of going to your cubicle, putting on your headphones and not talking to anyone anyway. And so the research that we've put together, uh, you know, here at Deloitte, uh, around the future of work, uh, we're calling the, the digital workplace. Uh, it, it really suggests that a lot of work will continue to be virtual, digital, wherever mm -hmm. you are, however you work, right? Come as you are. But that doesn't mean, right, just because we're losing that ritual of commuting in every day for FaceTime, uh, it, it doesn't mean that there's not a role for physical space. And so in talking with, with organizations like you know, a Jones Lang LaSalle or other architecture or real estate, you know, lesser firms. Um, we're learning that, that they're busy reconfiguring offices to be less about sit down in your space and do your thing and more collaborative, right? Sit down in a big space with everybody and do our thing. And so uh, there'll be a reason to go to work, but it's going to be about we, not about me. Very, very interesting perspective. Thank you. And I'm remembering the days of the cubicle, Mike. Oh. And I'm remembering when your cubicle only had a wall that came up. Well, I'm, I used to be five foot one. I don't know where I am anymore. Uh, <laughs> don't, and for me, it's always the black dress and the jewelry and the earrings and the hair, but you don't know what's on my feet. I'm not wearing high heels anymore <laughs> in the pandemic. You don't know what I'm wearing under the desk. But the point is, I remember the cubicle days when the cubicle only came so high, maybe five feet high. 
And that left a lot of space. I don't know if I think you all remember this above. And you could hear everything people were saying in the next cubicle. You heard phone calls, private and otherwise. You heard impromptu meetings. You heard conference calls around a table in somebody's bigger office next to yours. And we used to think, that's so disturbing. How can I get my work done? Because the wall isn't high enough and it's not soundproof. Well, in a way, they were preordaining the fact that it was a, a we and an us and not a me and an I. Interesting. Scott, ready for your comments on what Mike shared with us? Go ahead. Sure. Well, how about a, a footwear comment first? I remember <laughs> I used to be, uh, I worked in France as a developer for a number of years for a startup there. And uh, I used to take my shoes off and wander around the office and I would get asked why I was walking around in bare feet. So my solution to this was I ordered a pair of size 13 uh, gorilla slippers and I used to walk around in my giant gorilla slippers around the office as well. (laughs) Uh, That was when we had to go into the office. Anyway, so uh, Mike and I largely agree on most of this. It it turns out that this was actually one of the trends that we identified as part of our Tech Trends 2021 report that we released the other day. So if people are curious to learn more, they can always go read more there. The thing I would add to what Mike said is um, there are many of us who actually like physical human interaction with other fellow human beings, seeing people in person and being able to talk to them and have better resolution and fidelity than what you get on the screen. And so while it's clear that we're going to continue working remotely hopefully as an option, as opposed to a requirement as we move forward. The real, the real sort of interesting question is, if we have differently configured office space, if we have pods that people can go to where teams are going to collaborate, how do we make sure that the people who are physically present, because they happen to be geographically proximate, can collaborate in equal ways with the people who are still working from home or working from other locations? And what's pretty clear at the moment is our technology is not yet at the point where that's an equal interaction for everybody. And I don't know that we've yet figured out what that's going to look like, but I do know that people are working really hard on that because it's an incredibly important problem to make everybody on the team be equal as opposed to a little tiny square on the screen like we're doing now. And so not exactly sure what that's gonna look like, but I am really excited to see it happen. Thank you. Interesting, Scott. Darwin, you've got a lot to chew on here. You've got what's, what I, Mike started out with. Go ahead. I, I'm soaking it in. Um, you know, I'm torn, right? Because on one hand, um, I was talking to an office manager for a um, chemicals company. And I said, so what are you doing now? Right? I was, I was joking with the person. And, and she said, well, work is crazy. And I said, well, what do you mean works great? Everyone's home. And, and, and she said that instead of worrying about five offices, I now have to worry about 30,000 offices mm. and, and how to make people effective, right? So it, it, it's just that when she said it, I was like, wow, that's a completely different perspective that I was expecting. So, so on one hand, um, I get it, right? Um, but on the other hand, um, and that's why I love that, that Mike mentioned feature of work because um, the reality is we're at the very early stages of this evolution. We're still thinking about how to do what we used to do, but now a little differently. We're not yet thinking about, you know, how do we completely transform this whole thing 
based on what's possible instead of trying to just you know evolve the status quo right um so so um very exciting times a very interesting perspective for sure thank you very much scott you started this great first conversation around the table anything you want to say mike 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 the other scott oh. Sorry, yeah. Mike. <laughs> I got uh, names all over the screen. Mike, Mike, Mike. Go ahead. No, ju- you know, just that. Uh, I, I I appreciate Scott's Scott's point on um, uh, equity in a world where people are showing up in different channels. Uh, it, it it's no fun to be stuck at the kids' table at, at Thanksgiving, and and it's no fun to be stuck at the digital kids' table at work. And so, getting everybody at the same space, physically, virtually, is important. And and Darwin, I hear you. I, I agree, man. The the, um, the, we're at the very beginning, right? Every time there's a technology platform change, right? You, you, you don't know how to use it or maximize it. And so you lament that it's not as good as what, what used to be, right? The, the earliest TV shows were just radio shows because they didn't know that they could make Westerns and, and, and mysteries. <laughs> and so who knows what our, our, our virtual workplace future holds. There you go. And radio used to be radio. I was telling, uh, who was that? Mike, I think I was texting you saying I used to do these shows all on the phone. Darwin remembers the past few years where I had to listen for the nuance in somebody's voice. Scott, I had to wait to think with somebody at the end of a sentence. Were they about to start a new paragraph? Did they have something else they want to say? I didn't want to cut them off, but I didn't want dead air on the radio. And this year with the pandemic, I said, the time has come. We're going to view our guests. We're going to record the video. We're going to see each other while we're on the radio. I don't know that I would have done it that whole, wholesomely and that wholly for all of my shows if this didn't happen. So what can I tell you? Necessity is oh, somebody's mama. There you go. <laughs> Let's go on to the real Scott Buchholz, clarinet player and gorilla slipper wearer. We're never going to forget that, Scott. I'm already getting private chats from the other two. This will never get out of my memory about Scott Buchholz. Scott told me the following in his notes. He said, technology needs to be a core of MBA curricula. Technology and business strategy are synonymous, interesting, but there's still a longstanding desire to ignore IT by many executives in a way they would never ignore finance. Scott, that is provocative. Go ahead, defend it, please. I, I hardly think it needs to be defended. Look, I, I remember having a conversation with a CIO I know, and he was saying to me that he was incredibly heartened by the fact that over the course of his career, Uh, CEOs of major organizations had gone from ignoring IT and reveling about their ignorance of IT to actually being aware of the possibilities of technology and more informed by it. And, you know, his comment was, look, none of these CEOs would be proud of saying, I know nothing about finance. I know nothing about contracting or legal. And technology has become such an integral part of everything we do. It's a part of every process. It's a part of every product. It's a part of everything. Uh, This idea that you can continue to be ignorant of IT that I think was pervasive 30 or 40 years ago. It was those guys and gals down in IT that we sent stuff down to, you know, we sort of put them in a back room, slipped pizza under the door every once in a while and crazy stuff came out of them. Mm -hmm. You know, that world is gone. And so uh, if people start recognizing that, you, if your corporate strategy says one thing and your technology enables another, 
your corporate strategy is not going to win by virtue of being the thing that you want. And so a lot of what we're starting to see is organizations waking up to the fact that leaders have to better understand technology so that they can be better consumers of technology so that they can be more educated about choices. And if that doesn't mean that it needs to become part of the MBA curriculum, then at least we need to figure out how to make sure that all of our leaders are way more comfortable with the art of the possible. Thank you. Very interesting. Okay. I still think it's provocative, Scott, to say that they would they would never admit, I'm ignoring finance. Of course not. That's the heartbeat of our company. We're bottom line. Darwin, join us, please. Agree or disagree with Scott? You're up, Darwin. I have absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, I think um, one of our colleagues, Bill Briggs, um, said that um, technology is at the heart of business strategy. Completely agree. And I think we should should push a boundary even further, right? Because if you think about it, all educational constructs are a one-time event that are represent what we disdain and build to last, right? So should we not only embed ID inside the MBA, but also provide a mechanism where, you know, um, there's a regular update or refresh, right? Not to sound techy, but because the reality is things move so fast. I mean, two years ago, you know, if you said that Qubits as a service would be would be um, uh, available, I, I, I would tell you, hey, you're joking, you're not real. Uh, if you start your MBA program then, and then you graduate and everything's completely changed, then you're outdated by the time you graduate, right? So, so mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, wholly agree. And, you know, I think we should push it even further. Interesting about education. Yes. Look, look at just personal tech. Look at what, look at when the first iPhone came out. I had a friend whose kids gave him an iPhone. He brought it to me and he said, help me with this. I said, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> Think about it. When the a friend of mine was teaching a class called iPad Happiness at Adult Ed, where I was teaching eBay skills back in New York years <laughs> ago. And she said, you can't live without an iPad. I said, sure I can. It's too expensive. It's too big. What am I going to do with it? She said, you can't live without it. And I went, and got my first iPad. It was like, I can't live without it. Now I have two of them. So yes, interesting about technology. Let's go around the table. Mike Bechtel, finish off this round. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think MBA programs have historically been, um, you know, filling every corner of the C-suite, but, but that tech piece. And so I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, you know, it, it gets me thinking, you know, where else have MBA programs, you know, missed today's uh, market? And the other, I would just build that it, sales as well. It's historically been a, um, a, you know, it's like this shadow career next to classical business careers. And, and I think uh, we need to make a place for the, the, the geeks. And I wear that word proudly as a technologist, but, but we also need to make word, work uh, space for uh, sales professionals to recognize that that's a, a strategic discipline in its own right and all grown up. All grown up. Amen. I guess we have to face that reality, don't we? <laughs> Scott, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists about your very interesting topic? No, I think... Um... I just look for, again, you know, I'm generally optimistic about the future. And I think as a general rule, we tend to see progress. To Darwin's point, um, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that education can no longer be a one and done exercise. 
Uh, it's not sort of straight through and, and we're gone and off to the next thing. And the sooner people wake up and realize that that's true across the board, uh, certainly the more interesting things are going to be. Actually, you know, one thing quickly that Mike said that triggered a thought too is, here's another interesting topic that may not be covered as well in MBA curricula while we're filling up all of their basic courseware is, is the idea of trust, mm-hmm. right? Because we keep going on and on about ethics and lack of ethics. Um, I sometimes believe that the concerns that people have is actually a trust problem. And brands, if you think about it, were created once upon a time as trust proxies way back in the day because you didn't know that the bread who wasn't coming from Scott, your local baker, uh, it was coming from a thing with a branded envelope or a branded bag. How did you know that there was quality in there? So brands are proxies for trust. I really wish brands might get back to remembering that that is their raison d'etre. Wow. Uh, Scott, write this down, 9.37 a.m. <laughs> that, that, that's brands are proxies for trust. It's just sinking in. How true. How, how very true. And to me, that goes to what we used to know is walk-in storefronts, brick and mortar. Anybody remember when you can actually go to the store without putting your mask on and without wondering if the cart was sanitized in the grocery store or whether whether it was safe and who was there and if somebody had just coughed into the environment and remember when it was safe. And I always thought the person at the cash register or the person on the floor, I said, hey, can you tell me where the, the gold-plated sneakers are or whatever it was I was or wasn't looking for? If they weren't polite or they weren't helpful or they weren't well-trained, to me, they were representing the brand. And if they if, if they were talking to their friends on the phone at the cash register when I was trying to check out, excuse me, I'm busy. If they were doing that, I always felt they didn't understand. They were representing the brand. And Scott, at a very, very granular level, they were representing the trustworthiness or lack thereof or the reliability, the consistency, the dependency, the dependability of the brand. They just didn't get, ah, I'm a worker. I'm not making too much. I don't care. I'm going to talk to my friends. So it, it does trickle all the way down. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Darwin, interesting comment here. We're looking at your statement number one. You say the rise of disposal everything. I'm going to read one sentence and have you expand it because you've got a lot of good stuff in here. The pursuit of kinetic enterprise has been elevated by the pandemic. Darwin, talk to me. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, so I would argue that we were at the edge of embracing um, uh, this disposable everything concept. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, everything is consumable as a service. You've got cloud. You got your business network that can do parts for you, and um, you you have uh, the outsourcing partners. You have automation, etc. There's a lot of things that traditionally businesses would hold close to the vest and they deem as competitive advantage that they are now relying on an ecosystem to execute. And what I was reflecting on in terms of um, what the pandemic did is, I think it. It, it might be just the final push over the edge and into jumping full steam into, you know what? We can have a business that cannot pivot to any change in conditions in an instant. And there will be a lot more premium to, you know, it's not just about is this role, is this talent model, is this process, is this business partnership doing what it's supposed to do? There's still that, but it's going to be more about 
um, how do I move away from it if it proves to not be what I want or the market condition shifts? Um, and which also implies that um, businesses to be to be really flexible and agile and be able to take advantage of this paradigm will need to maintain people who can orchestrate it all, who can bring everything together um, and decompose, pivot, shift, move on to the next thing and anticipate the next change. Um, you know, so the rise of the both of everything is the rise of orchestrators in the business as well, right? So that's 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 uh, one of the things that I'm I am uh, looking forward to seeing examples of. Interesting. A different is that a different hiring model, Darwin? A different job description model? It used to be you have a job, you come in at nine, you stay at least until five, you follow the rules, you do what you're told, you file your reports. If your boss says jump, you jump. If they say compile a five thousand page report in the next nine minutes or you're gonna have a problem with your review, you did it. You had to follow your KPIs. Is this where people who can orchestrate this flexibility, is this a different type of what we're looking for? in jobs. Just quick, Darman, Darman, before we get the others to comment. Yeah, um, I, I think it's an end, not an or. You will always need to hire for specialization. Now, will you invest in specialization long term? Um, it depends because things change and the things that you want them to specialize on will change. Um, but cultivating, cultivating orchestrators within your organization who understand how finance work, how sales work, and how all the different functions work and how, you know, how um, uh, effective it is and, and what decision we made in the past. Um, having that context, that generalist mindset, um, that profile, I think, will be even more important moving forward. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying. Let's go around the table. Mike Bechtel, love to get your thoughts on what Darwin shared. Go ahead, Mike. I am in uh, aggressive agreement Ooh. with, uh, with uh, Mr. Diano. I Ooh, it's better I, than violent agreement. Go I ahead. Know, I was, I, I, no, you know, no violence. It's the holidays, but you know, um, there are different terms for this concept be, because there's so many ways to approach it. Uh, anti-fragility is, is a term that, that I've heard uh, in, uh, bandied about increasingly. And, and it's this idea that, it, it used to be that we would build these robust, rigid processes for repetition and replication. And, you know, if you do it once, document. If you do it twice, automate. Um, there was a bridge in Honduras that uh, was over a river and Hurricane Mitch came and moved the river. And now these four people have a bridge that's not over a river. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great example for the need to not be... Uh, lean and mean and six, you know, sigma and five nines, but to be anti-fragile, to be adaptable, to avoid these one-way roads that that you, you can't walk back. And so Darwin, your point on talent, I, I love it because hiring generalists doesn't mean we're lacking depth. We just need versatile generalists, right? Serial specialists who can get world-class at something for three years and then world-class at something else for the next three. I, I think you nailed it, buddy. Thanks. Scott Buckholz, join me. What do you think? Agree or disagree with all or both? Or one? <laughs> you know, it's hard to disagree with Darwin and Mike as a general rule. So <laughs> I, um, I I don't know that I'm, I'm going to be, maybe I'll be assertive agreement as opposed to aggressive agreement because I don't know that I want to beat up my, my friends. Um, but 
you know, if you look at it, uh, there's this really interesting progression over the past however many number of years when people think about what's core to my business and what are the things that I can, we used to call it outsourcing. Right now we call it buying something as a service or buying something on demand or all sorts of, so we take all the old concepts, we give them some upgrades so they work better because we've got new tools, we gussy them up, we increase their sex appeal, and then we roll them out again as new ideas, which is what I love because if you like look at history over the period of time, if you had gone back 20 or 30 years ago, there was the big move to outsourcing. This is like rethinking outsourcing. Maybe we should call it outsourcing 4.0 because we're in industry 4.0. I don't know where the other you know industries went, but I, I think that you know what we're seeing in many ways is the logical progression. And the question really becomes, it's really interesting, is what is the core of an enterprise? What's the core of an organization? How small can you get? How strategic can you be about what you outsource? And, uh, you know, there's the old Reagan uh, quip, trust but verify. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to outsource something that's really important to keeping your business running, like say, I don't know, accounting, you probably need to make sure that the group or the person or whatever that you've outsourced it to actually knows what they're doing. And so there still becomes this verification aspect, particularly when you're now operating in a more distributed world with more disparate groups doing more things on your behalf and so on and so forth. And so you're, we're talking about, you know, coming back to managing different types of complexity, orchestrating different collections of things. And so I agree with Mike and Darwin, as usual. Um, and I think it's a, you know, sort of really interesting set of changes we're seeing. It certainly is indeed. Darwin, anything you want to say back? I'm going to squeeze in one more topic when you're done. Anything you want to say back to the other gentleman? Yeah, you, you know, they, they just, this is like great music. They just added different color, right? The guitarist mm. just added little different nuances. I love, because one of the things that I was um, um, contemplating on is, it's a scary situation where everything that you used to hold as firm and rigid and you're just optimizing now becomes fluid. Um, and, you know, I was the term control backstops came to mind and, you know, the trust, but the verified comment from Scott definitely resonates. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 um, I, I think, I think, um, the, the enterprise is, is, is ripe for, you know, rethinking it, reimagining it, because um, that, that's where, uh, that, that's the genesis of my comment about um, being liberated. Because, uh, you know, we got pushed, we, we, we got bullied into, to, to, okay, I may change, I may like it, the pandemic showed, you know what, you have no choice, go. Um, and, and uh, you know, just a quick note, um, really, really grateful that we, this happened now. If we, this had happened mm. years ago, I mean, yep. game over, right? So, Yep. Good point. Thank you, Darwin. There's optimism in there somewhere. I got it. Mike Bechtel, we're going to squeeze in one more topic quickly around the table. I'm looking at your statement number four. This is interesting. Virtual reality is finally upon us. No, for real this time. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> we love provocative statements. Mike, why don't you take, we've got uh, nine, eight minutes left to the whole show. I want to make sure we okay. go around the table. So Mike, right. expand, please. Go ahead. Quickie, quickie. So, so having worked uh, in all things newfangled, 
for nearly 25 years, um, virtual reality has always been the new, new thing. It's always right over the horizon. It's coming. No, it's really coming, but I'm here to report it, it's actually really coming. And the, the, I think there's, there's a, a, a left jab, right hook reason, and it's supply and demand. COVID has catalyzed, of course, this, this need to uh, embrace physical space, right? My kids watching Lil Nas X concerts on, uh, you know, Roblox or, you know, um, you know Jay Balvin and, and Travis Scott uh, in Fortnite. Um, virtual spaces are the new concert halls. And, and that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. On the other side, uh, the tech is ready for prime time, right? Uh, Microsoft selling $500 million of HoloLens to the U.S. Army, laser guns on the back of the new iPhones that can allow you to virtually scan an environment. Why? For the coming wave of smart glasses and one day smart contacts. Now, like that Marty McFly quote at the top of the hour, that's a little crazy, but, but it's coming. And I think it's coming because we recognize that um, it's not digital or physical anymore. It's both, right? It, it's mm. omni. It's, it's, you know, I, we, one of my colleagues can coin a, a term for it, but, but um, I, I, think, I think we're seeing the beginning of it not being uh, digital or physical. That'll be an anachronism. It's just life. It's just life. Wow. Scott Buchholz, join us. Thoughts, please, on It's Just Life via VR. Well, I look forward to the continued outsourcing of my brain to technology um, <laughs> with smart contacts. Because um, as I get older, I find that my name recollection when I'm tired goes down. And so I'm not, I'm not, as, I'm not sh- as quite as certain about the timing as Mike is. Uh, he's, he's maybe a little more optimistic in this regard than I am. But what I would say is uh, what's pretty clear is uh, the process of becoming cyborgs is is continuing at a relentless pace. And if you think that that's not a true statement, uh, hand me your cell phone for the next several hours and we'll see how you do. So, <laughs> Darwin, you're up. Talk to us. What do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm still with outsourcing the brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but it, it's it's um, so I recently delved into some of the more recent VR tech and was blown away about what, how far people are taking it and the possibilities that I could match it. Um, you know, it's interesting enough. I was looking at you know how do I project my VR computer screen into Zoom, and then I found a company called Spaces, and then I realized that that Apple acquired them and they're no longer. Um, available to the public until they kind of so, so things are moving so fast um, and getting more mainstream so agree you know um, returning the aggressive um, agreement we've had aggressive agreement assertive agreement and I'm the one who said at least we didn't have violent agreement I used to I'm in violent agreement okay we'll stay away from that it's the holidays speaking of the holidays let's do a crystal ball prediction on what we're talking about post-pandemic anything let's hope for some good optimistic predictions here Mike Bechtel you're up first I can give you each 60 seconds keep it tight Mike go yeah, you got it. You know, I um, evidence suggests that after a year like this, we can't help but be heading into a roaring 20s redux, right? It, it's been 100 years. Let's readopt that old century old brand. And, and you know, it, 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 the late teens 
a century ago were a drag, right? We had the Spanish flu, we had World War I, and then we had uh, some of the best stretch ever. And, and I think, uh, yes, I'm an optimist and I'm a techno optimist and all that, but uh, I think with all these digital assistants, virtual reality, fluidity per Darwin and Scott's points, um, we're in for a good run over the long haul. Just got to get over this hump. Roaring 20s redux. Are we going to have flapper dancers and bootleg gin? And are we going to have <laughs> subterranean nightclubs? Go ahead, Scott, you're up next. This, this is the discussion I've been having with Mike and Bill, who's another one of our colleagues. And, and I, don't, I don't know that I'm ready for flappers hats again. But, <laughs> um, I'm not ready for fringe dresses yet either. Go ahead. There, that there might sailed. be a bit of that. Um, here's, here's, what I, here's what I'm hoping for is if you look across the spectrum of what's going on, we're seeing technology being increasingly sensitive to emotions and able to understand humans. We're seeing people who've gotten far more comfortable with digital interactions, like ordering groceries on your phone and those sorts of things. We're seeing organizations in retail and other places try to reimagine what can the future be like. And if you think about it, um, I now take pictures of checks as opposed to walking into the bank to hand my checks to tellers. And so we've collectively moved in this direction of thing, things that didn't need to be hard being more efficient and effective. And I, for one, am very excited to have meaningless transactions be trivial and be able to focus more on the meaningful human interactions and you know, have everything else just taken care of for me. So the sooner that happens, and some of that is just over the horizon, the happier I will be. Thank you. Happier we will all be. Darwin, you get the last word. You have sixty seconds. Go. I, you know, uh, I, I echo um, you know the optimism and everything that Mike and Scott um, are looking forward to. Um, it's going to be an exciting time. Um, I also think that one of the things that the pandemic. Um, kind of brought back to the forefront is, you know, that human connection, relationships, um, you know, just trying to harness the best of the human spirit. I mean, we're a resilient species and, and, and I think, you know, we will see more things, more orthodoxy is broken. Um, like I said, we're, we're now liberated um, to do a lot more, to do a lot more things faster. Um, and now the digital generation who um, never grew up with typewriters or landlines um, or not without cell phones um, will lead the way. Um, and, and, you know, some, some of the older dinosaurs like myself will need to be responsible in terms of making sure that the fundamentals and some of the, some of the historical context is not lost amidst this the rapid pace of change. But overall, just looking forward, looking forward to this is going to be an exciting, you know, decade. Thank you, Darwin. Thank you, everybody. Mike Bechtel, always a pleasure. Scott Buckholtz, what a wonderful surprise to meet you. Thank you so much for your droll sense of humor, your great commentary. Darwin Deano, always a delight to speak with you. Keep drumming. I want to do a shout out again to the, the team behind this series. It's been wonderful working with all of you. Carla Neal, always thank you. Carla Igosa Obakpalor, wonderful Igosa. Delighted to meet you as well. Helen Tomas, thanks for sponsoring. Natalie Butlin, Ed Deloitte and Maria Rector-Wall as well. 
well, I got a lovely holiday card. And they were all wearing antlers in the picture. It was so cool. Looking forward to the Kinetic Enterprise coming back for season two in 2021. And thank you. Let's put your hands together for Aaron Keller, our engineer at World Talk Radio. Thank you, Aaron. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Happy, healthy, safe, and sane holiday season. And we'll see you again in 2021. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.